0: Hello and thank you for tuning in to episode 26 of You Play A What and happy December to all of you. My guest this week is none other than the legend that is Chen Jing, who is nearing the end of her current course of study at the Juilliard School in New York. So coming into this interview with Chen Jing, I knew that she lives just about 5-10 to minutes walk away from me. But what I found out in additional to that is that both of us graduated from the same primary school, which is a lovely coincidence. And because of that, I decided to give her a few extra minutes. So this episode is a little bit lengthier than the others, but actually for much better reason than what I've just mentioned. In this episode, I speak to Chen Jin about her affinity with music, and we spoke in depth about her relationship with music from a very young age. We spoke about her passion to bring music to less privileged communities, her emotional struggles as a composer, and her different roles that she has explored in music over the years. And of course, what is it like to be a foster cat owner for the very first time. So lots to unpack here in this episode. And thank you once again for tuning in to You Play a What? If you like what you heard, please share it with someone that you think would enjoy this content as well. That would be very much appreciated. Enough from me now. Please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Chen Jin. My guest today is living in arguably one of the most exciting cities in the world and certainly one I would like to check off my bucket list. She is well-versed in both Western and Chinese musical language as a composer and performer. Currently a teaching fellow at the Juilliard School, she is approaching the final semester of her current course of study at the school. Welcome to the show, Chen Jin. How are you doing today?
1: Hi Vincent, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm doing well and I hope you're also doing fine.
0: Yeah, I'm absolutely great uh, because you're on the show today. So thank you so much for uh, coming onto the show. And you know, uh, with our interactions so far, I find you to be absolutely fascinating character. And I'm really looking forward to uh, this chat today and getting to know you a little bit better. So Black Friday just passed. Were you busy shopping over this shopping <laughs> spectacle?
1: Contrary to popular beliefs, I actually don't really shop at all. Good. The last time I shopped on uh, online would be, you know, shopping for a cat toy for my cat, my foster cat. Right, right. But I don't really like to buy things online for myself because... Firstly, I don't know if the size will fit properly Mm. and I prefer to try the clothes myself. So I am quite a boring person. I don't really buy things. But uh, yeah, I get to save money. So that's good for me.
0: (laughs) So uh, nice that you mentioned your uh, recently uh, adopted cat. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Snowy, I believe. That's the name?
1: Yes. Yeah. Noe is the official name. Right, right. So I haven't actually adopted him yet. Okay. Uh, he's still a foster cat for now, although I would love to because uh, I can't because I'm still an international student here. I don't know where I will be in the next few years. I see. So I want to be responsible he, uh, for him, so I'm not uh, adopting him right now. Mm. Um, he's actually a very nice and peaceful companion and my very amazing quarantine buddy at home. Right. I, I think he's a great cat. He's my first cat experience. I really love stroking his fur <laughs> yeah. because he always calms me down but it's very tricky to do work with him around because although he doesn't ask for any attention, he just sits there or he, li- he just lies on the bed. I will feel very tempted to give him my attention yeah. and to just touch his fur <laughs> and he, i feel like a little bit like disturbed i would feel disturbed if i were him though but he gets very active at night right so it's it's quite hard for me to sleep because i didn't know cats are so nocturnal
0: i see i see um,
1: but i just love uh, having his little presence around me running about and mm. always asking for treats uh,
0: yeah. uh, right so how did this uh, process get started for you how do you come across the cat or do you went to an animal service sort of thing to, to look for it or?
1: Yeah, because I was feeling quite lonely at home. I live alone. Mm. So I wanted to see if there were any appropriate like companions that, that could tide me through this rough time in New York City. Right. As a lonely composer struggling by herself so I I went online and then I saw that the New York City Animal Care Center A- NYC mm. they are always looking for fosters to help uh, elevate their burdens at the shelter so I thought why not I try to do something meaningful you know for the community here yeah and try to uh, do my part to bring a cat home and look after it for a while until it gets adopted and then i started to choose a cat because they have a they they wanted us to do a, an orientation first mm. meaning we have to look at the slides and then look at a certain aspects of cat behavior that we should know right uh, and then before we even start to foster a cat so that's pretty good that's that's very legitimate mm. i know this process is it's, it shows that they are really looking for responsible fosters yeah so when i went online and then i saw there was this actually there was this super cute cat and then i i wanted to foster this cat at first However, this cat got adopted because of how cute it looks. I mean, it just looks so cute. Right. So, uh, And then I was like, oh, no. So it's it got adopted. And then they asked me, would you like to foster Snowy instead? And then Snowy looks like this very fearful, uh, white-eyed, uh, timid-looking cat mm. uh, crouched in a corner. And I at first I was like, uh, I don't think I want such a cat. Uh, a timid cat because I myself don't really have experience with cats. I need a friendly cat for a beginner foster like myself. Okay. So, yeah, so I was afraid at first and then however, he looks a little bit um, a little bit pitiful <laughs> and he, he looks very attention-seeking just with his eyes. So, I was like, why not I foster him and give it a try? Mm. And then I just went down, uh, I went up up uh, to 103rd Street and then I just uh brought him back mm. and uh, when he came out of the box he started sniffing around he was very scared right. but then he he slowly um, he slowly adapted to my home and on the first night he already slept on my lap Oh. So you can see that he, yeah. either I am I am just so approachable, or
0: <laughs> I think he is
1: just a great cat overall. Right, like <laughs> yeah, like So I'm I'm, I'm the lucky one. Yeah, I see. I see.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think this is. A, I mean, I don't have any experience with this sort of like an animal foster programs. Uh, but I think from uh. from what you said, this idea of uh, going through some sort of uh, basic uh, sort of foundation kind of course and getting some knowledge about how to deal with animals when you bring them home, yeah. I think that's, that's such a great thing because otherwise it can be a nice concept, right? That I have a pet and then I bring it home, then like, oh, I, I don't really know how to deal with a lot of the things that uh, are very basic, actually. Uh, it, it, is uh, Snowy your first pet?
1: I used to have a pet terrapin okay. uh, for about more than 10 years, actually. it's That one is my first pet. Mm. Uh, however, it passed away recently, like maybe a few months ago. I, I so see. So it's, it's okay. Yeah, I, I okay. think uh, terrapins, they, they actually live quite a long life. And I think 10 plus years has been a great time for him already.
0: I see. Okay, so uh, this terrapin was uh, with you in New York as well?
1: Uh, no, oh, this was uh, back in Woodlands, my home.
0: So, as a pet owner, do you feel like owning a pet has affected your own sort of, and uh, en- uh, enriched your life or affected your lifestyle in any particular way?
1: Uh, definitely, I think I felt very responsible for him and I feel like it's a precursory uh notion before i start to have children in the future Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think it's a great way to learn about compassion and learning how to care not just for the for the great parts of having a cat but also to deal with the ugly side of things Mm. for example sometimes cats like they vomit a few times a week okay uh, because they maybe they eat too fast or other issues. So we have to learn how to deal with that mm. and to really care for him and embrace him in every aspect of his life. Right. So that has really enriched my life because I learned so much about how to be more patient and how to be more caring mm. to animals. So I, I do enjoy that. And it's just very hard to do work, but it also makes me more self-disciplined. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. if given like a, a free reign of... Uh, choice right what is your number one choice of pet like if you can own anything would it be like a tiger or you know something
1: (laughs) (laughs) i really like how you you are you are stepping out of your your (laughs) image the tiger is like the first option you're bringing (laughs) Uh, so why can we go from that yeah (laughs) yeah so so um i used to be super obsessed with dogs I, I love dogs I always ask my parents to give me a dog for, uh, every year during my birthday mm. uh, but I think um they they never did that maybe because they knew that I probably wasn't at that age and maturity to care for an animal myself mm. so uh, but if I wanted to really adopt I was I would hope to have a dog because I just love their loyalty yeah uh, but if you were to go all crazy I, I hope to actually have an have an ego, actually.
0: Ego. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, in the right like, country like Harry, then.
1: Harry, yeah, like <laughs> Harry Potter. Wait, Harry Potter is our...
0: our.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, you can see how disengaged I am. But um, sorry. Oh my gosh, that's what? so embarrassing. Okay. Yeah, but but I think uh like which oh is it Mulan? Oh, that one is Phoenix. Okay, yeah. I think it's okay. Yeah. Well,
0: they they uh, all fly. Thought. They all fly. Let's yeah. get it out there first. So that there, there is okay. some similarities there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah but I would love to have eagle. I think they're cool and um they they seem to be very uh, loyal as well, I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and they are really uh, very handsome creatures mm,
0: right. <laughs> yeah. So like uh you know keeping snowy in the in the apartment where where you're living, I suppose you are living in an apartment in New York. Uh, it, are there any sort of restrictions like we have in Singapore because we're not allowed to have cats at home, right uh, in Singapore? So, uh, are there any Mm, such regulations? Yeah, that's
1: weird. Mm. Uh, No. So, before I fostered Snowy, I had to uh, inform my landlord first, because it was not in the lease when I signed the apartment. It was just for myself. Mm. So, I informed um, the landlord, and I had to send him information on Snowy, his weight, his gender, his breed, and all that, and attach a picture to the form, so that they know that I'm having a cat, and what kind of cat it is. And then, Mm. They will approve, uh, or not. So luckily, they approved, and and there, there I have it. I have a snowy with me, uh, But I, I just feel like it's weird that we can't have cats in homes in Singapore homes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah it's really really strange, right? I also I yeah, can't it's so I strange. I don't really know. I mean, I haven't researched, but I don't really know what's the, the rationale behind like yeah, not allowing why, cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's weird. exactly. Because there, are actually uh, quite quite a bit of strays around. Right? At least I think in our, yeah. our uh, where, where we uh, live in Singapore. Yeah, around HDB, yeah, especially. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, ni- nice that you mentioned that uh, we were, I-, I mean, you and I, we were actually sort of neighbor ish, not exactly neighbors, <laughs> but we live in very close vicinity, uh, certainly yeah. walkable distance from each other. And I know. Yeah. yeah uh it's of course woodlands well known to be an area that is not the most exciting uh but you know uh, we make do but you know recently uh they opened up a 24 hours ramen shop near the the wait, MRT I, station wait i
1: i didn't i don't know about this eh.
0: yeah and i think of course you know something like that really excites the residents of woodlands because
1: <laughs> something like that, <laughs> yeah. Because all
0: all of a sudden we have like not only one but two establishments that operate yeah, like twenty four hours, right? So yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course the the queue is is crazy. But uh, it's a it's a ramen chain, uh, all around Singapore. Mm. But th- that particular shop in uh in uh Woodlands near the MRT station you is Woodlands open, MRT. Yeah, nearby. Uh, ah, the, okay, the, okay. Yeah, this new like building. Yeah, so it should the,
1: open at Masling MRT. Yeah. Because that's where it is the most ulu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, Ulans already has F concert point, right? Yeah. So,
0: right. Yeah, we, yeah, we have that's uh, so cool. We have Seven Eleven. We can buy sandwiches, right? So <laughs> yeah, I always
1: go there every, at, late at night. <laughs>
0: yeah. So uh, right. So now let's talk a little bit about your time in Juliet and your uh, a little bit about what you have done apart from uh pursuing your degrees, of course. So I understand that you uh, also part of the Juliet Journal team and also an admission blogger for the school. So uh, can you just share with us a little bit about uh, this, how you have contributed in these two sort of publications?
1: Yeah, sure. So I used to Be a juliet journalist uh, last year during my first year of master's life and for that uh, we actually have to write a few posts a year so when we do posts we we can choose the topics we want to do Mm. so that's the liberty on our side we can write anything we want and so what i did was i actually um, tried to feature more of my composer friends mm. because, you know, composers, they are mostly overlooked. You know, it's always the performers getting all the glory. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, oh, you know, fine, composers, you know, even we, are, we won't ever be on the poster uh, on the posters of the school because, you know, what we do is very unglam. <laughs> it's always at home. So uh, I tried to feature them by interviewing them for some of their projects, especially one for our National Sawdust Concert about one and a half years ago. Mm. So that was a huge project for me because it was really fun to interview my friends, four or five of them. And then we just um shared about our thoughts regarding the music that we're writing and the projects we're doing. So that was great. And then I also am part of the although not really officially part, but I am also involved in the Julia Chinese Students Association because there mm. is no Singapore Students Association. There are right. too few Singaporeans there. Mm. Um, so I am involved in that uh, with the with the behind-the-scenes activities. So they sometimes have Chinese New Year festivities. Mm. So what I would do is I would feature them, I would take photos, so I would bring my own camera <laughs> and then I would take pictures and then... Um, talk about what happened uh, for the festivals and then to introduce the events to everyone else. So right. that has been quite meaningful for me, yeah, to, mm. in, to be part of a community. Okay. And then as for the admin blogger thing, um, that one, it's more uh, rigorous because they, require, uh, they required us to contribute like around two posts a month. Mm. Uh, on our lives so they will give us a few prompts for example uh can you share with us some audition tips or what has been the most meaningful part of your rehearsal process of any of your music so far so we can just choose any topics we want and then or something more practical like how is renting in new york city like And then we just write whatever we want Mm -hmm. based on our own experience. So that has also been very uh, interesting for me to document my life as a New York student, as a Julia student. And I feel like if I were to look back on these posts, maybe in about five or 10 years time when I'm all getting older and all that, I will feel quite nostalgic just reading the posts because they were capturing, they captured who I was at this point of the time. Yeah.
0: Mm, definitely, definitely. Uh, h- what made you interested in taking up this roles? Were you asked if you like to join or was it something that you seek out that you yeah. always wanted to, to be part of, like, uh, you know, uh, writing this sort of publications and articles?
1: Yes, I like your question. Uh, so... For these writing activities, I'm doing them because I know I'm not a very sociable person. I don't really (laughs) go out with friends or to explore parts of the city, even though I should. I don't really have a lot of people that I can connect on a deeper level with. Mm. So I feel that being able to express my feelings and thoughts through words and of course music, but also words as well, it's very therapeutic for me. So I... I decided to to pick up these jobs not because I am very extroverted and I want to share everything about myself and let everyone know all about my life. Not from that perspective, <laughs> right? But more about more about trying to document my everyday simple life mm. and put them elegantly into words and hoping that, uh, the readers out there can find resonance with what I am writing. Yeah.
0: Mm. So, so and and
1: also uh, as a way to earn extra income. <laughs> right. Right. As yeah. yeah, so a work-study job since we mm. can't work outside of school.
0: Mm, fair enough. And uh, yeah, I think these are great steps forward. You know, I think writing and writing articles, writing journals and things like that, uh, being part of a publication uh, group is fantastic, yeah. you know, and it's uh, <laughs> definitely something that a, a musician should have, you know, in case you are writing like, mm-hmm. say, program notes and things like that. You know, things will yeah, just indeed. Yeah, flow a little bit better, right, than you <laughs> writing one program note per semester kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I uh, agree. Yeah, so, uh, speaking of this idea of uh, work uh, and study position, you are also a teaching assistant at the Juliet School. So uh, could you just uh, also share with us what it entails to be a teaching fellow?
1: So I'm currently a teaching fellow for both the Juilliard Music Advancement Program, Composition Program, as well as for the Evening Division for Music Theory. Mm. So for the Juilliard MAP Program, they actually uh, re- cater towards the more uh, underprivileged or the minorities groups in New York City. And for this, in this regard, I actually uh turn up for their weekly sessions. We have two sessions, one is Composition Forum and one is Composition Lab. For Composition Forum, the main teacher, Daniel Felsenfeld. he's Mm. actually a very good composer here. He will share with the students, we have about four or five students per class, which is mm. very little, by the way. So he will share with the students like interesting repertoire around the world today or uh, maybe important pieces that they should know as a composer mm. right at this stage in their life. And then we will discuss about them and I would offer some thoughts as well. And then for the composition lab, it's led by uh, the composer Huang Ro. He's okay. also a very, uh, quite a well-known composer in this area. And uh, he will look at their compositions so they will share their pieces and we would all give advice on how they can improve on their writing. Mm. So it's like a mini compositions lesson but for everyone else at the same time so that they can learn from each other. Mm. And then sometimes I will provide relief teaching for composition if they're not around. And uh, I will sometimes even do relief teaching for ear training and theory as well for the Julia MAP. As Mm. for the evening division, It caters towards the older age group, such Mm. as people who are already uh, retired or people who have other day jobs. And uh, I think the age range is very diverse. It's from mid-20s all the way to 70s even, 70s, 80s. Yeah, so it's a huge range and it was really fascinating so far because... You know, they are so hardworking, even though they have their own job expectations out of music, mm. they still get to their work and they, you know, they still wrote so much for their theory assignments mm. that I felt very touched because sometimes I feel like even college students they take advantage of the resources. They just um, assume that everything is going to be there for them, yeah. every help is going to be offered for them when mm. they need it. But for evening division students, they really, really worked so hard to mm. to in their in all their assignments and in their tests and you can see that being reflected in their questions during class. They really raise amazing inquisitive questions that are that really fully demonstrate their curiosity, even though their major is not music. So for this class I will turn up for their class and then I will have one-to-one tutoring sessions with them mm. and offer additional help outside of class and then I will also do the more mundane thing, which is to grade their papers.
0: Right, right.
1: So, that's my expectation.
0: I see. So, uh, with regards to the evening program, where you are sort of more kind of hands-on and doing more of the work, right? Uh, The the sort of uh, students that you are dealing with, do they have a general level of music background? Or are there some... Uh, of the students that come in with basically uh, no knowledge of music theory.
1: Yes, there are students who come in, you know, with engineering background and they never have done anything in music in their life, except for listening to a few pieces of music they like.
0: Mm. And there are
1: also students who are like jazz or rock players. Mm. So, they are more attuned to jazz terminologies than classical uh, Roman numeral terminology, for example. Right. So they look at things in another from another perspective and that's really interesting for me as a fellow mm. and to embrace everyone's thoughts because in music, I don't think that should be right or wrong. It's more about how uh, you can show uh, certain uh, aspects of the music through v- different terms and people can learn from each other that way. I feel like that's more friendly. Mm. Yeah. So it's very interesting to see the, the broad range of students and I just admire their resilience so mm. much. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Right. So uh, as you, men- you also mentioned that you do this sort of like one-to-one consultation with the students as well. So... How much val? How much do you value this sort of personalized teaching, where you can communicate with the students directly, in perhaps the the language or the method that would best resonate with them?
1: Yes, so uh, I think one to one tutoring it's more comfortable for me. Firstly, as a person, I get to see and meet the needs of my students personally and design certain syllabuses for them, and to help them in. In their own way mm. and then I also feel like um, even though I might take about up to 1-2 hours just designing a syllabus for them although I don't really reap like a lot of monetary benefits from that I feel very happy whenever they tell me that they are improving from our tutoring sessions right. so and sometimes, you know, I have a student who, who likes to play jazz, and sometimes he when he does his uh, uh, species counterpoint, mm. he will have really crazy uh, counterpoint line against the cantus firmus. Okay. So, you know, we people are so used to having so strict rules that their yeah, counterpoint sometimes seems really dead. Mm. But for this student, he's his counterpoint is always very imaginative. Right. And he will have like pentatonic skills here and there. Mm-hmm. And I will always tell him, you know, it's nice that you're doing this, but for this, we have to curb our, we have to curb our imagination yeah, and yeah. do what we have to do for the class. So, of course, I felt a little bit, um, I felt, I definitely felt like it was a loss on their part rather than they learning something, you know, mm-hmm. but at least they are, it's their choice to learn this Western classical tradition of music. So, yeah. I still respect them for trying so hard to adapt.
0: Yeah, mm, mm. yeah definitely. It also sounds like you are having a, a fantastic time and a really fulfilling time uh, over the last couple of years in New York because, um, uh, to be honest, <laughs> when I see some of the uh, master's students when I was studying at, uh, in Manchester, uh, they're usually mm. quite free. They don't have too many classes and they have a lot of time, of course, to work on their, their performance and things like that, right? So, yeah, and, and their practice. So, uh, but yeah. for for you, it seems like it's really fulfilling. Apart from your own, uh, compositional work, you do all this kind of like, uh, different things out of the uh, regular curriculum, which I think is really fantastic. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think it's just very different for performance majors. You need as much time you, as you can to hone your skills. If one day you lack practice, you know, that makes a huge difference on your playing. Yeah. But for composers, we can go by one or two days without composing. For me personally, I compose, <laughs> this is a secret, but now mm. I guess it's not anymore. I compose like twice a week, which is very little <laughs>
0: okay.
1: compared to all everyone else I know. And twice meaning like a concentrated full-blown four, five hours. I so see. probably about 10 hours a week. Okay. But other than that, I take time off and I do other stuff like this teaching fellowship and reading about music as well. Mm. So I feel like performance majors, we can't really compare with composers. Yeah, they have much more expectations to deal with and probably might lead more stressful lives than us. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, to, to a certain extent uh, I don't know yeah maybe a little bit but yeah part, part of your your free time is also uh, coming onto a podcast and uh, speaking right so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Th- thanks for that yeah for allocating part of your free time to do this uh, no, right
1: it's my pleasure
0: yeah so uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your musical journey now how it all started and how you get to where you are today
1: Okay, so I started learning the piano at five, the violin at six, and the Yangqing at seven. I nice. had to grapple with these three instruments while growing up, and then, uh, as usual, I had to do the ABRSM exams, you know, uh, as mm. an Asian. Asian kid and mm. then I had to do the Central Conservatory of Music exams for the young thing, mm. and then I joined SNYO when I was 11 which had a huge huge impact on my musical upbringing
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: I did PSLE at 12 I'm not sure why I included that and then <laughs> I <laughs> and sure then good I to know anyway so- yeah. <laughs> yeah I did yeah. PSLE and then I entered SOTA mm. uh, School of the Arts Singapore at 13 to pursue the IBDP Diploma mm-hmm. as a young Qing major. Okay. And after six grueling, exhausting years, I continued my undergrad and graduate studies at Juilliard as a composition major under Robert Beezer. Mm. So that's a, a, a brief trajectory of my life.
0: Right, right. So, uh, ultimately, what made you pick Yang Qing is, uh, And plus, that was the instrument that you started the latest, right? Uh, to get uh, as an... Uh, major to get into sota. why why do you not choose the violin or why do you not choose the piano?
1: Good question. Um, I picked the yangqin mainly because of my mom's encouragement okay. because she told me oh, Chong, you you don't really see a lot of yangqin players around. <laughs>
0: And that is true, you, that is true. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah.
1: It, it makes you special, you know, I know you are probably, you you, are, you probably sound terrible at it now, but you know, you will get better and, <laughs> and it's a good way to to enter the School of the Arts because they have already a lot of great violinists at that time. Mm. So, and I think at that time, I also recognized that my young Sing ability, although I picked it up the latest, it surpassed both my... Uh, violin and piano skills mm. which were very mediocre at that time even though I did the ABISM, because they really mean nothing actually so mm. I, I felt also quite confident to to enter SOTA with Yang Sing, and thankfully I I got in with that and that was one of the best decisions that I've never regretted because it really brought me so much joy yeah right and a lot of other experiences mm.
0: and did you feel like starting out on the piano, maybe not so much violin, or maybe the, the violin as well, did help you pick up Yang Xing quicker?
1: Wow, actually, nobody has asked me this question ever before. You are the first one. Right. Uh, obviously, it did, because I had the basic knowledge of musical pitch, uh, and I know rhythm already. I know how to sight-read music. It's just a little bit hard, because... When I started with Chinese music, I had to read cipher notation, the Mm. jianpu. And for me, reading numbers was so challenging because I was so used to reading notes on the staff. Mm. And uh, that's also a very Western concept. And because of that, I had to readjust a lot. I had to really start from nothing, which is to really look at cipher notation and to transpose every time. So 1 equals to D, and then I have to Mm. look at the numbers and transpose. But that really helped to provide a strong foundation for intervals in my head mm. since I was young. But it was hard at first, but it did help a lot because I already had a lot of knowledge about music, you know, at that time when I was young.
0: Right. So yeah. that was good. Mm. And, and were you part of the Chinese orchestra when you started the thing, or did you learn it separately?
1: So I was part of the Chinese orchestra in Woodlands Primary.
0: We, and then
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where did you go woollens or no,
0: I was another another okay. primary school Fuchun primary school okay yeah
1: yes yes I haven't go to that yet so yeah. I was at Woodlands for first two years yeah. and then I joined Chinese orchestra then I transferred to Sealing primary and then I joined um, what was that? Um, in ceiling primary I didn't join anything but I joined swimming CCA okay. and then uh, and then in Fuchun primary I I went to Fuchun actually for the last two years and I did my PSLE there and that's okay. when I joined string ensemble
0: right right okay
1: yeah so it was a multi-faceted experience I see <laughs> yeah but a lot of transferring yeah
0: mm. no ah, so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. that, that sounds really sad <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so so you finished the, your primary school, uh, in Fuchun.
1: Yeah, I did.
0: Nice. So you see, I'm f- finding out so much more uh, new things about you, and so much more. Right? Yeah, so much more we have in <laughs> we common now. We need to
1: now. have another conversation. Yeah, about exactly. The there.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, I I obviously was part of the brass band. Uh, I started in oh, primary school brass brass as the brass
1: band well. is so good at Fuchun. Yeah, they you you are always tour to what festivals right abroad.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In in the past yeah, I uh, always, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. We so, we
1: used to rehearse at the brass band studios also. so.
0: Ah, yeah. So I, I mean back then the the brass band what was cool was we were the the first primary school band to put up a full length concert at Esplanade. Uh, but this was like when I was oh. still studying there. But that was like so many years ago. I think. Oh, yeah. Good but, times. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was really, I mean, when when <laughs> when that was happening you don't actually realize how how big a deal it was until you look back. Then would be like, oh. Actually, since then, after that, it took me like a very, very long time to go back and perform at Esplanade again. And oh. I think, you know, even for some of the, the band members that ended up not pursuing music, that might be their only chance or their only opportunity to have played in the concert hall, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, so that that's yeah, pretty cool. That's right. Yeah. But true. it must
1: have been so memorable to, yeah. to play in such a beautiful hall.
0: Yeah. Definitely. I think it's great. So this idea of then wanting to go to Sota, was it quite kinda straightforward for you that there was no way that you're gonna go to a regular secondary school or do you have to do you struggle with this decision?
1: I've never struggled with this decision because I think already at age 11, when I was, you know, crumbling under the pressures of maths and science, I already told myself that I wanted to be a full-time professional musician. Mm. It was such an early stage of my life that I already had this notion. So, um, you know, when I was young, I I. I, I picked up the instruments because of my parents, and it was more of like a willing obligation mm. that did not stem from a very conscious choice, which was understandable at that young age. But when I matured into a young adult and experienced, you know, the ups and downs of life and growing through certain hardships, music became my lighthouse and uh, I would say my only therapy. And mm. but in SOTA, it was also not fully glorious either. It's not all about music. I was also confronted with a lot of academic work and expectations. But um, listening to music daily and practicing in school every night until 10pm, it really gave me the escape. I needed to really safeguard my mental well-being.
0: Mm. And
1: even on long, you know, our you know, we live so far away, right, from the central. So yeah. even on the long uh, one-hour MRT rides or so, I would always have, like, music in my ears. Mm. on my iPod, like classical Mandel pop, K-pop, like slow K-pop, like not the BTS, that kind. Right, and then right. um, not to, I wouldn't say not to, not to romanticize the harshness of the world or to euphemize it in any way, but for the simple, for the simple reason of soothing a very exhausted and fatigued uh, teenage soul at that mm-hmm. time. So Aside from having one best friend who I could share everything with, music was what could reach me deeply and comfort me uh, fully since I was and still am very secluded and introverted by nature and it's not someone who is emotionally dependent on a group of friends, for example. Mm. And I I remember I told myself at that young age that I really need to do music because Music doesn't judge me like the rest of the world does. Mm. It lets me cry to it, uh, sleep with it, study with it, travel home with it. It blocks out the cacophonous uh, sounds and words that humans are capable of saying to each other, each other. Mm. I can get lost in music, but I come out of it being extremely at peace with myself and the reality around me, and when mm. I practice, I could go all out for hours and lose track of time and every day i practice before i did any of my other homework first. Mm. so i left the most tiring parts of my day to the homework but not to my music and mm. when i witnessed my own progress and i saw how much emotional fulfillment i get from just hearing playing and writing music i realized that music gave me more self-validation than any other external thing could do for me so mm. going to sota and and experiencing all six years of it and then going into music straight after, it has always been natural for me. I've Mm. never questioned my choice and although um, later on I saw how hard it is to be a composer because being a composer means that there is a very treacherous path that lies ahead. Mm. We are highly dependent on the worldly judgment around us for our music to survive and to survive posterity, I know there are composers who 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 are very confident and they feel like you know writing i just want to write whatever i want Mm. because you know life is short i want to express all i can and do my best in my music and to get everything i want out there to people but for Mm. me i feel like music ultimately it's an art form that is that needs to be transmitted from one place to another it cannot It cannot be something that exists on one spot and fail to reach others. It has to reach other people. Mm. And we cannot write music without thinking of others in mind. That's something I learned throughout the years. Right. The hard way. Mm. Yeah. So anyways, so writing music is very difficult. I, I knew early on that I might have to do other things, aside from other writing music in order to have a good livelihood in mm. the music industry. Right. Uh, but I still went on with it, and it was hard decision. But I realized I cannot live without doing music full time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I,
1: I just said a very long answer. Yeah.
0: No, it's it's <laughs> I'm okay. Sorry that
1: just came out. <laughs>
0: yeah. That that's great. And I think uh, what what you said is is beautiful, and it's uh, it's so honest. And yeah, I think. What, what I gather from what you've said is that uh, because of this, the sort of environment and your own circumstances where you are constantly moving school, that you don't have like one particular fixed group of friends, that you always felt a little bit like an outlier sort of figure, yeah. right? And you are interested in things that perhaps other students weren't so passionate about right? Like music, like practicing, like, you know, uh, the art form. And Mm -hmm. I think without the, and and you don't play that whole peer pressure game, right? Because there's nobody there to be like swaying you and things like that. That you really have like a mind of your own and that you're not afraid to make a different decision from your friends or anyone else. Because Mm I think at, at a young age, perhaps if you had uh, a very, uh, a more kind of like uh, developed social circle, you might not have picked Sota because you might have been like, oh, I just want to enter the the, the school yeah, that perhaps. my friends, right, are, are attending. So you might, that m- might have affected the way you thought about music and stuff like that. But I think because of your own circumstances, yeah, it it made it really clear that you're not afraid to be different. You're not afraid to think differently from other people. And I think whatever you said as well, I think everybody can gather quite clearly that you you have absolutely no problem doing the things that you believe in, rather than mm. yeah, sticking to a, to a norm. I think.
1: <laughs> I guess yeah. Yeah. I have to thank music for 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 giving me this chance to be myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's great, you know, uh, at the end of the day, in our own, uh, a, a, as an artist, right, as someone that is like creating things and putting our work out there, uh, like you said, you want to make work that people engage with, you want to make works or create works that uh, people would uh, be able to resonate with and relate to, but at the same time, uh, it needs to be original, Right otherwise we will also struggle in a in a completely different way if uh mm. the the work that we put out is not necessarily like original mm. yeah. yeah but yeah but thanks thanks for that and i I really really appreciate uh what what you have said and and your answer <laughs> and move, moving on from from sota now as as you near towards the end of your your studies there. What was going on in your mind? Like in terms of what is the next step for me? What were the the options in front of you?
1: You mean before I went into Juilliard?
0: Yes. And before you eventually picked Juilliard, was it like I'm going to Juilliard, I'm just going to like go on this path and make it happen? Or were there like other sort of opportunities as well for you?
1: Right. So I actually also enjoyed playing Yang Sing a lot. Mm. Because I found that I was also pretty good at it. I enjoyed like every second of performing on stage. And uh, it was also a very natural part of my identity. I was also able to be very comfortable when I'm a Yangtze player. And although I'm a very shy person, I am not shy when I'm performing. So that is the approach I have to composing as well. Mm. So I did think seriously about applying for a conservatory in China Maybe the Central Conservatory of Music, and mm. to further my studies in Yangqing, because I have, I think I I have some chance of getting it in. I know probably I might also be rejected because their standard is just too amazing over there. And uh, however, I in the end I still chose composition because I realized uh, being a great Yangqing performer, it's a personal catharsis for myself, mm. but. That does not make me different from other already amazing, great young sing players out there. Because I think a musician, being a musician means you have to deal with a lot of objectivity. Mm. It's either you interpreted this phrase correctly or you could interpret this even more correctly.
0: Right. <laughs> like,
1: I feel that it's very it's a very harsh world out there, especially for musicians. Mm. So I don't know if I had the ap- to deal with this constant stress although mm. I really enjoy younging player I feel like if I were to go full time into yangncing I might grow to have uh, have um, I might be repulsed mm, towards mm. the instrument at some point at some mm. point in my life although like, it might not be
0: like some but, kind of burnout yeah. right? Mm, I might be
1: burnt out. Yeah, I might Mm. find myself constantly comparing with others. Mm -hmm. But with composing, I can truly have my own unique voice. Even though I probably haven't found my voice back then, I know I I could be on the path to find it. I know I could be different from other people. And that Mm. I don't have to compare myself with others. And that people will appreciate it. Uh people will appreciate what I have rather than what I lack. Which mm. is what a lot of musicians are being criticized for. So I that's how what made me choose composition because I could be fully creative,
0: mm. not just in
1: my performance, but in my musical thinking as well. Right. So it was a little hard to uh, make this decision, but I made it and I didn't know and expect that I also could get into Juliet. <laughs> so mm. it was a surprise. Yeah.
0: Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So uh staying on this topic of your identity as a performer. Uh, of course, I understand that since you've moved to New York, it's not like you've given up uh, performing altogether. You're still uh, somewhat of a re- regular performer. You're still taking on projects and stuff like that. And what I find very interesting about some of the projects that you've taken up is that um, they all provide some kind of uh, social impact. And mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, can, can you like tell us a little bit more about? How you see music as this tool to enrich other people's lives, and what what is it about that element of work that uh really kind of struck a chord with you?
1: Okay, so in my third year of undergrad studies, I undertook this uh fellowship called the Juliet Community a uh, Glad Community Fellowship. So this fellowship means that uh, we have to perform twelve times a year. Mm. in various hospitals clinics and also senior centers or even children hospitals or orphanages around New York City for a year so I uh, roped in my best friend Tengku Irfan on the piano Mm. and we just played for various places and I would say that is one of the most meaningful and humbling experiences I ever had as a composer in my life because you know composition is very solid Theory. So mm. to be able to go out and play for people, it's very healing for me. Mm. And to play for the common public, you know, not the concert-paying ones, but the people who are struggling, especially people who are in pain mentally and physically, it really reminded me that music, which is created by humans, should serve humanity. And secondly, music should never <coughs> be used as a self aggrandizing venture where you feel all self-important and stuff. Mm. And that also influenced my own epi- attitude to composing as well because even though self-expression ought to be valued and treasured, we as composers must never extricate ourselves from the communities around us. Mm. I believe that if the music I write fail to speak to at least one person out there, that means I must have failed as a composer. So for the 12 performances of for the Gluck Fellowship, uh, We, as a Yangqing piano duo, we arranged pleasant and fun music from the classical rap, such mm. as Rossini's um, Thieving Magpie Overture, mm. Brahms' Intermezzi, uh, movements from Saint-Saëns' Carnivores of Animals. Right. And then we also played uh, popular classics such as the Piazzolla's uh, Histoire du Tango Nightclub 1960. <laughs> uh, American spirituals, you know, and Disney songs even, and also music from our own culture, like Irfan is Malay and he is mm. from Malaysia. So he he suggested Getaran Jiwa by mm. P. Ramli, And mm. then I suggested Teresa Teng's The Moon Represents My Heart, which is mm. the iconic song. So yeah. uh, they all really enjoyed it. It was very gratifying to see them looking visibly excited and relaxed during our performance. I remember one time we played at the Lighthouse Guild which is an organization for the visibly impaired and blind. Mm. And after we finished playing, they all came over and queued up and to touch the strings of my young in
0: mm. great sense
1: of awe and wonderment because they have never heard it sound before or even felt it before. Yeah. So that scene, it's still in my mind today. It mm. seems like it's only yesterday that they were there touching and feeling every single string of my instrument. And... Mm. After we played, one person even came up and told us that he used to play piano. And at the encouragement of his friends, he came up to play a Chopin waltz. And mm. he asked me if I could improvise harmonies on the Yang Qing underneath his part. Right. You know, it was my first time hearing these waltz. I never knew about this existence. So, you know, I also learned from them. I and see. I sounded quite terrible <laughs> because I... I didn't know the piece, but I did my best to intuitively match his beautiful play. Mm. And afterwards, everyone applauded and cheered. And I cannot describe to you how emotional we felt at that time, knowing Mm. that we have made someone's day with the music we shared with them. Mm. That was truly one of the most transformative experiences, really, for me. It was just so rare for me to have this kind of intimate connection with an audience, but I'm so glad that I could still achieve that through regular performance. Mm. I totally didn't mind carrying my young sing to each of these uh, 12 places because right. the audience are always so supportive and the conversations we have with them after our program are very heartening and motivational.
0: Mm. And
1: even if we can't provide a permanent solution to the various problems they are having on their own, at least we share many great afternoons together through mm. a collective music experience. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yes, so that, that sounds absolutely wonderful. So I, I know um, this is one of these moments, right, where podcast fails is that uh, you are speaking and I'm just like nodding along with you, agreeing, oh. but you can't see that. <laughs> Thank yeah. you yeah. so much
1: for yeah. listening.
0: <laughs> but, but it's absolutely beautiful, the, the things that you say, and uh, particularly as performers, as musicians, really our music needs to connect with people, and not just connect with ourselves, right? It's not not just like you go up and then you learn a a 20 minutes concerto and then you pat yourself on the shoulder and say, oh, job well done. I just played a really difficult piece. Uh, But it's really about this sort of like human connection where people can, you can start conversation, right? So for example, someone Mm -hmm. that hasn't played the piano for many years can come up and say that, oh, you know, I used to play the piano and I can play this waltz and and things like that. And, And I think these moments are really very, very precious. I have a question for you and that is uh, I also understand that in Singapore we also have programs like that where uh, groups would uh, go into hospitals and uh, different uh, sort of uh, venues to perform for uh, these lesser privileged people. Mm. Would you say like the choice of music for these different groups need to differ a little bit because you have uh, some of this uh, I, I would if I could brand this as more sort of like Uh, classical repertoire, right? So, things like, Mm. you know, opera overtures and stuff like that. And can I I assume that by default, the people that you're playing for generally has a a slightly better understanding of Western classical music as compared to, you know, our uh, Singaporean citizens who perhaps don't find that classical music is something that they kind of grew up with Mm. or exposed to.
1: I would agree with you on that because Singaporeans, we have our own culture. We have, you know, a huge uh, repertory of very personal, very, I would say, very unique music to our own identity and Mm. culture. As for the Westerners in places like New York City, they are, they are mostly, they, they mostly already have some sort of conception about Western music. So even if I play Rossini, for example, even if they have not watched the opera, even if they don't know what it is all about, even if they don't know that it is actually an originally an orchestra piece, but I feel like they will be able to understand the idioms used in the music. They will still feel the joy of the rhythms and they will feel the harmonies, the brightness of the harmonies. But for people like the Singaporean audience who who have other music to listen to, I feel like we often, Obviously, we have to change our syllabus for them. Mm. We have to design and redesign a set of music that speak to them and speak to who they are when they were growing up. Mm. Because I think that's very important is to be very flexible in your programming. And yeah. even as composers, you know, I, I don't usually like to, to show my works too much for these kind of social platforms because I feel like it's not guaranteed that everybody will understand what i'm doing but when we play music such as like folk music or we play a, a, a classical chinese song or a very uh, well-known uh, malay song for the singaporean audience audience they will usually feel very um, involved in the process mm. and that will really liven up their mood mm. so that's very important yeah
0: yeah, definitely. So yeah, sometimes when I when I think about these sort of uh, programs and how to how to like because if music is for if we care more about the user experience it's really not about uh what we are good at, you know, it's what they would enjoy, right? So yeah, it's much I, I think it's quite important for us to design mm. something that uh would yeah,
1: yeah.
0: would like they would engage with. Yeah.
1: You really nailed it. It's definitely not what we are comfortable with all the time. Mm. So I wouldn't say I'm comfortable playing Rossini on the Yangtze mm. or or like transcribing Brahms Intermedsie for the Yangtze. You know, that's very dangerous, by the way. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but, but if it speaks to them, if it gives them, you know, emotional uh, joy, it helps them relax and lay back a bit and just, you know, zone off to another world. I mm. think it's worth a try. Yeah. Right. And we also become better musicians mm. and people that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So now, uh, you know, apart from uh this two roles as uh performer and composer, you also dabbled in a little bit of conducting. So, uh, w- what what was the the idea, and how do you get into conducting?
1: If I would point at um one event that made me interested in conducting, I wouldn't say it's my experience being a violinist in the orchestra, but it would be that one performance or one recording of Tristan und Isolde, uh, by Carlos Kleiber in a black and white video on YouTube that mm. inspired me to conduct. I was head over heels, uh, over that opera when right. I was seventeen. Yeah, and um. I remember I I could just sing the entire libist thought without the words, of course. Mm. and And I looked it up and then I saw Kleiber conducting. And usually, you know, conductors emanate this kind of loftiness and lofty air of superiority, whether it's intentional or not. Mm. And which made me really fear and respect them at the same time.
0: Right. But it
1: was after I saw how much love and passion for the music Kleiber showed through his conducting alone not just with his facial expression, but with every gesture in his arm, with the fluidity, with the flow, with the rhythms that his arms go through. I saw how conducting was not merely a medium for dominance on stage, Mm. but also a great outlet for expressivity without sound. And I Mm. believe that composers should You know, all composers should try to conduct at some point in their life, which is what I did, which was very courageous of me because, you know, I don't like to be at the center of the attention. I don't like Mm. to lead. I'd rather be a follower. Um, But I kind of went into that because uh, I saw that they also had opportunities for us to learn conducting in Juilliard. So I took a one-year conducting course. And uh, we conducted, like, you know, at the end of the course, we conducted our cha- Juilliard Chamber Orchestra. We conducted a uh, WC prelude to Afternoon of the Fawn, actually. Mm. <laughs> Very adventurous, yeah. Right. But it's so beautiful, the music. I felt like I didn't do enough justice, but it was the learning process that mattered. So... Uh, that's how I grew to love conducting, although I would not say that I'm very proficient and it, I'm still a very um, young and inexperienced beginner at conducting, definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I, you know, I caught a snippet of your conducting masterclass and I thought it looked pretty good. <laughs> oh, no. Like, you know, you look you like know, you know um, what you were doing. So that's the important <laughs> thing, right? I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah! Wow! Well, thank you so much for yeah. that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So for the the master masterclass, it's you know the Gerard Salonga conducting workshop in Ma- Malaysia, mm. um, organised by the Malaysian Philharmonic Orchestra. I I just went for that in a leap of faith. You know, I never knew I could get it. Anyways, I just I went for it because I was also going to be in Malaysia at that time. So why not, uh, try to do something musical, right?
0: Mm. And then
1: and challenge myself. And then I, I think you know the repertoire I chose was um Beethoven Symphony number no. one. You know, that kind of music is something that con that the musicians can handle on their own without the conductors. They mm. already know the piece, obviously. So I would not say that I did a lot to <laughs> help make it better. I felt like more like I I was just there to practice how to conduct, and they were the ones helping me <laughs> to be a better conductor. <laughs> mm. So yeah, it's one of those pieces where the conductor is not necessary because they, the music itself is already great and it speaks to the musicians so that it's already organic for them to play without any leading force. Yeah, if you understand.
0: <laughs> what you you mentioned is very interesting because I think you really get into the crux of why is there a need for a conductor, right? That is to to bring the music together to make the lives of uh, performance a little bit simpler not more complicated <laughs>
1: yes <laughs> yeah uh, i mean
0: I, I i don't know if you Isn't have that
1: a guilty laugh
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i uh, i mean uh, sometimes it's me i don't know maybe with my uh, primary school kids right i make life more difficult Aww. for them yeah but also uh, definitely uh, sitting in in uh, ensemble there are times that you play under certain uh, conductors And it's just, it works like magic, right? Everything is so easy. And then you play under some other composer, uh, conductors and you feel like, mm, perhaps like, I, I really have to focus. I really have to do certain things to make sure that I am like right smack on the beat. Mm-hmm. I, I Maybe yes, it's and down I, to and me. I,
1: yeah, I like how you say you almost said, and you play under certain composers and then you feel yeah, yeah. like you have to... <laughs> Coming from recent experience. Yeah, yeah, I know I know that must have been embedded deep inside you right
0: now, Yeah, I, I do agree. No, 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 is a, a genuine mistake. Uh, right. There's no other implications underneath You're this.
1: You're bastard yeah.
0: now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, uh, so, I mean, you know, with what you, you said, I think you really understood the role. Do you agree that sometimes maybe composers would, would feel that only they would give the most accurate uh, interpretation or representation of the piece therefore they would also feel like it's important for them to conduct their music as well rather than to leave it mm. to yeah you know uh, an, another uh, person or another conductor mm. to do it.
1: Of course um, it's very common for composers to feel that way after all it's their hard labor they mm. they went through months of writing an orchestral work they want everything to be done according to their way as much as possible and although their their interpretation is often right because they also have a right to let others know that this is what they want as composers this is what we want that's, that's what we hope to achieve um, but they not necessarily will always have the best judgment regarding certain things that's what i believe in i believe we are not complete without the help of musicians and conductors and I feel that sometimes conductors, because of their experience dealing with the music of our kind, music of our nature, as well as music of the past up till now, they have more sensitivity and mm. sometimes they do have better judgment on what to do with a piece of new music like this. Right. And sometimes, for example, for me, I am very strict about the tempo I want. Mm. I feel like maybe this is what most composers feel as well. Like we kind of have a certain uh, expectation for tempo. Like Bartok in his string quartets, he's very particular about his tempo markings, mm. and he says that nobody must alter his tempo markings. And he even know he even wrote uh, wrote out this the speculated duration at the end of the work. Like, oh, I want this to be 10 minutes long or, or 11.5 minutes. So mm-hmm. it's very precise. Right, Yeah, right. But I'm not that kind of person. I believe that when things have to change, they have to change because of the human expect, mm. And uh, because, you know, it's not all about ourselves. Music is also concerning uh, of others' opinions and we have to respect each other and choose Uh, the best one, the most feasible one. It's like playing chamber music, you know, not only the first violinist's uh, opinion matter, or the person who chose the work, his opinion must matter all the time. It's also the thoughts of all the players involved, even if the player is just playing an accompaniment part. Mm. So I believe that sometimes we have to rely on the conductors for help. And we must not be afraid to ask for help because sometimes composers, they don't want to lower their face to ask for help because they feel like, you know, they are the most uh, mighty, they 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 are the most uh, noble of all, they are the ones who created a music for them to play, you know, everyone should listen to them. Yeah, there are people who still think that way, but okay. I feel like really we need to have conductors to guide us better. And uh, of course, if the comp- conductor's interpretation is so far off from ours, we will you know, nudge them and we'll be like, okay, Mm. so but this is just not how I hear it. Mm, And mm, if the mm. conductor is good and sensitive, the conductor will adapt and find the right compromise. So music is really all about compromising different Mm. opinions, right? So but there should not be one person or one party that always insists in every occasion, that would Mm. be uh, risky for
0: yeah. the future of music yeah for sure definitely mm. yeah and <laughs> probably if there's only if there's one person that's that that's, that behaves like that uh in a group that that group won't be around <laughs> for too long right yeah yeah definitely yeah so y- y- You know, you've, like, so far in our conversation, you've been doing, like, you've done so many things, right? Uh, We talk about your performance. We talk about you uh, as a teacher and in the sort of education line of work. We talk about you as a conductor. Yeah, what is that aspect of the work, of your work that you enjoy the most?
1: Oh, enjoy the most? Yeah. Um, I really have to pick one?
0: Uh... Yes, to make it a little bit more, more interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 If, if, okay. if there's
0: like, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, J- just something that you enjoy the most.
1: Um, if yeah. I have to say one that I enjoy the most, it would have to be performing, actually. Mm. Because um, after all these years really of uh, being a, a composer a musician maybe sometimes a teacher and a wannabe conductor Uh, nothing beats the feeling of creating music spontaneously on the spot by myself or with a group of friends and also be in full unfiltered contact with the listeners like we don't put on filters the music can be imperfect but it is true and genuine at that moment Mm. I used to think that stage anxieties and performance issues will really negatively impact both the music making and the music listening experiences to the point that music that the music will become disfigured and should not even be played at all by the performer. But however, over the years, I feel that all of this can be conquered and even with some imperfections, the music I play and perform on stage will still have an immediate effect on those around me Mm. Although composing is great, it ultimately brings me sometimes um, the most depressive states of mind. And when I entrust my hard work to musicians, the music largely becomes theirs, actually. And I have very little control in its eventual delivery other than a few words of advice that I can offer during the rehearsal process. Mm. And this huge uncertainty will never resolve throughout my life as a composer. And it actually intimidates me more than the mistakes I might make during a performance on stage. Mm, Uh, Personally, I I would feel more delighted and fulfilled playing music with other people and Mm. to be part of a collective experience and witnessing other people's reactions to it rather than indulging and reveling in the sonic milestones or harmonic Mm. uh, universe that I have achieved in my own music every time it is successfully performed so I'm not so Mm. much of a self-important composer Mm. I I, actually whenever I submit a piece of work I feel very demoralized because I don't know how it will turn out Mm. so it's very important to for me to hear how it turns out but for now, I think I can still compose and do my part to add to the repertoire of the world today until I run out of creativity one day, which I feel is coming soon, by the way. But no, come on. Performing is the best for me. Okay. okay. <laughs> I feel like yeah. performing I, I can truly I can truly, you know, forgive myself after every performance. But if I write a work that disappointed people, if I write a work that disappointed myself in the end, I can probably never forgive myself for that.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Wow, that, that's very, very interesting, what, what you've just mentioned. And, it became and, pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, but, but I guess it's really like you went to the other side of the coin to realize that the pastures before were actually not so bad, right? Mm. Like it's, yeah. uh, it's uh, effect, like a little bit greener than, than what you're on. Uh, but I think this sort of perspective will change. I, I i mean uh, over time right so like you that whatever you're th- you're feeling at the moment probably isn't what you felt when you decided to to pivot into say composing yeah and then yeah. these sort of things yeah i think it's a it's a constant sort of um uh, back and forth yeah and yeah. i think that the problem for you is that you're such a great performer as well so there's always this avenue whereby I, I, I'm
1: not. <laughs> yeah,
0: there, there, there's always this avenue for you for uh artistic and creative expression as a performer as mm. yeah and and i think that is the the main difference and yeah, of course
1: all interrelated yeah. yeah
0: and of course there, there's no reason why you can't be both uh i think you can absolutely oh. be both yeah but uh thank you so much yeah but perhaps you know yeah but in the in, in environments such as New York, perhaps uh, the, the young thing's opportunities are a little bit more uh, kind of limited. As yeah, it is. I have to
1: put it aside for now and focus on writing and yeah. studying.
0: Yeah, as compared to, you know, when, when you are in Singapore or, yeah. Mm, and then I think yeah. once, once you have a, a place that you are more kind of fixated and fixed, could be here, could be elsewhere, then mm. things can grow again. I think. Once you have some sort of idea that you're going to be there for, for a little bit longer, then you can slowly, you know, uh, do more performances and, and all these things. And I think it's yeah, always very interesting because <laughs> it's like a it's, a... it's a different instrument, isn't it? As mm. compared to most of the Western instruments that you see over there.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, now, let's bring us back to the the beginning of your studies in in Juliet now. Juliet is... I think by far the most famous conservatory in the world, <laughs> right? Uh, when you talk to, okay. a, talk to a layperson, they would also uh, know, oh, Juliet, that that school in New York or that the school that appeared in that particular movie, like August Rush or, or whatever. Oh,
1: yeah, it's everywhere.
0: Yeah. So uh, bring us back to the day that you received news that you are accepted into the school. What was it like for you?
1: Wow. Well, uh, when I received the news, I was, you know, back home in Woodlands again then, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the other side of the world. Yeah. And uh, I remember I was in complete shock and disbelief because I was primarily self-taught and was quite inexperienced as a composer. You know, I hadn't listened to a lot of new music. You know, a lot of composers at my age back then probably already knew the complete works of Cage, for example, or mm. even more like obscure um. In inverted commas, obscure composers like Lackermann and all that. But I never knew about their names because I didn't have um, friends who were into new music like myself. Mm. And I was listening, you know, the latest music I was listening was Strauss, Ein <laughs> Held and that right, was it. Right. And I had only been writing intermittently for two to three years. And mm. the other kids in the States, they mostly went to pre-college when they were young. So I've never actually harbored any hopes for myself of getting into Juilliard. And I fo- I fondly remember that when I auditioned on that fateful snowy day, okay, the composer, mm. um, Stephen Stucky, one of the kindest faculty ever who sadly passed away a few years ago, mm. he told me to bring back chicken rice the next time I returned to New York City. So in retrospect, that must have been a strong hint that I didn't take. But the day I got the acceptance news um it was truly one of the happiest moments in my life because mm. Juliet has been my dream school since I was 12 actually mm. uh, I wanted to go there for violin you know but right. I, of course obviously that didn't turn out well but it's the place where so many of my musical idols graduated from
0: mm. I
1: was more, I was more um uh, charmed by its uh, heritage as a very important and historically uh, iconic school rather mm. than its reputation. Mm. So, of course, there was a lot of pressure as well at that mm. time because at that time, to my knowledge, I was the first Singaporean composer, I think, mm. I somebody might correct me, ever to attend this institution. And I know that there must be expectations of what I must become and fulfill when I step out of this school one day. Mm. <laughs> so... Back then, I had to reassure myself that my music must have carried some worth and potential for greater things ahead in order mm. for them to be appreciated by the faculty and to give me the chance to to really you know, take this step forward. My years at Juliet, thankfully, were one of my best years in my education life. Mm. And my love for music and learning only grew exponentially in this kind of highly stimulating and intellectual environment. So I'm just still in shock that I'm here now, but treasuring every moment of it.
0: Mm, yeah. And so during your uh, compositional uh, or your, during your audition, you uh, obviously, like you mentioned, you flew into New York to do the audition. Were you by yourself or were you a family? And what, what do you have to do during the audition?
1: Wow. Okay. <laughs> and um, I was with my father. Mm. We went there, just the two of us, and uh, it was snowing heavily, I remember. It was really my first time seeing snow. It's uh, really gorgeous. Mm. Uh, what I had to do was... Do you still feel the same
0: through... way about snow now? Do you still yes, feel the...
1: every single moment, it feels like first time or right. <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, so the, the, the Korean pop song starts to play, right?
1: Yeah, yeah yes. <laughs> uh, hey, you know you know winter sonata. Uh, yes, the, yes. Yeah 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 all yeah. the old school Korean drama. Yeah, I yeah. really love snow. I think it will be my favorite uh seasonal um uh, what would you call it? Seasonal change. Yeah.
0: Mm. So, it's
1: just really beautiful.
0: Yeah, woodland's not yeah. the place for you then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wollens will always be my home. Yeah, I grew up there. <laughs> right,
0: right. We, yeah. we have
1: to we have to meet up in woollens one day.
0: For sure, it will be sure. very fun. Yeah, yeah So back
1: to back to Julia. Yeah. Mm. So I had to sit through a three-hour theory paper. Mm. Uh, you know, the last time I sat through a three-hour paper would be during the IB exam for music, and this time it's a three-hour purely theory paper. You know, I'm tested on species counterpoint even though I've never learned it before and then tested on all kinds of harmony and have to write my own progression and all that so it was hard and very tough and then after that we have to do a 10-minute interview which if with each of the faculty so each faculty gets 10 minutes with me so Mm. So that one was pretty grueling because they listened to my music and I just sat there. I didn't know what they felt back then. So it was one of the hardest um, interviews I had to go through. Mm. But uh, I'm also glad I had the courage to do it. I
0: thought this was the hardest Mm -hmm. one.
1: Oh, obviously <laughs> it, 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 You asked you ask me about the pet I, I wanted uh, to have. And <laughs> that was really tough. I, I, and I and I even said wrongly like Harry Potter is an ego. So wow, I, I failed at this interview already. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, just for some love. Just for some love. Yes, okay. Like like you said, you know, when you first entered the school, there you you definitely put on some pressure on yourself. Right, Because like you said, the, the school is, is, is huge and it's, uh, it's sort of this icon uh, in terms of um, Western classical uh, education, uh, Western classical music education, I should say. So uh, when you moved over to New York as a 17-year-old or 18-year-old?
1: Um, as oh. a 19-year-old. 19-year-old, right,
0: okay. <laughs> oh, so, no, okay. Yeah, no problem, you know. Uh, I moved to the, to Manchester when I was 24, so... <laughs> oh,
1: okay, yeah. <laughs> thanks.
0: Yeah, so uh, as a as 19-year-old, uh, did you go there? You flew on your own or also your parents helped you settle in initially? And eventually, mm-hmm. when at some point, you must have been uh, alone, right? Living in New York. Yes. How how difficult was it for you when you first had to move so far away and live alone and all this kind of stuff?
1: I settled in with the help of my parents. Um, Mm. They all came together with me. We actually uh, roamed around the city before we settled in. And then... um, they made sure that I was fine. I had everything that I needed. They were very caring towards me. They even went to Chinatown. You know, while I was having orientation, they went to Chinatown to to get like hairdryer for me. Mm, <laughs> the okay. very Singaporean stuff. And then get a nice blanket and then a water boiler. I still remember. So mm. And they just put it in my dorm so that I could use them when I come back to my home. And then they flew off. So, and then for the first few weeks and months, it was a little bit hard to adjust to this entirely new culture on my own. Mm. I didn't have any friends that I know. I had to make friends and, you know, making friends is one of the hardest things (laughs) that I ever have to go through, actually. So thankful for music collaborations is mm. the best way for me to make friends but you know for striking up conversations I'm pretty weak at that with people so it was tough and then I know the American students here they also have their own culture going on so mm. they were they are definitely much more open than me so I had to adapt to that it was very tough and obviously and apparently I turn out to only just have a few friends from here and that's okay so it was tough but I pulled through uh, with the help of music and focus on my everyday school life Mm. that really helped a lot and I communicated with my family uh, a few times a week I would Mm. text them and update them what's uh, up with me and then slowly I became more and more independent And uh, I started to also enjoy this fresh uh, air by Mm. myself, you know, without being restricted to any place. And just to do whatever I want, to choose the way that I want to spend my time. Yeah, Mm. so I became a stronger person out of Mm. it.
0: Yeah, I I think that is a a very common trait for most um, musicians that went overseas to study. I mean, unless you're always um, hanging around within a particular uh, Singaporean group. Yeah, there's maybe, no
1: Singaporean group yeah, back then.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was so very
1: hard. Yeah,
0: when when you're alone and you have to kind of figure things out on your own, and yeah, it all becomes very interesting and yeah, it opens up your eyes, right? I, I Funny you should mention that you uh, you went to buy a blanket uh, when uh, after you arrived. Same thing when I enter my dorm, I'm like, oh, there's just a mattress. There's no, like, bed <laughs> sheets. There's no blanket. There's no pillow. Oh. And then, yeah, I had to learn, head out to to buy them. Otherwise, you... Yeah, yeah. And, you have yeah. to
1: you supply these yourself.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Uh, so, it's great, right? I think you you left for New York such a different place at a very young age. Do you have any advice for young musicians that are going overseas to study
1: my biggest advice is to apply for your dream school even though you don't feel like you have the chances no matter what there is still a chance and 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 the possibility that your work will be appreciated by someone out there very very far from you so even if the person doesn't know you well I would advise them to go full uh, on and Just go ahead and pursue your dreams no matter how unreachable or intangible they seem at that moment. And then the next advice I would give is to really prioritize learning above everything else. Prioritize Mm -hmm. learning as much as you can above having fun or having a social life because Sometimes you come, you feel like, okay, if without the social life, you can't really survive the demands of the school. You you can't really have a platform for you to release all your pent-up emotions as a growing uh, adult. Mm. But let me tell you this. For, for a composer or for a musician, the most important strength must come from yourself and not from others around you. You have to get that within yourself before you start to rely on other people. And mm. uh, not everyone has the opportunity to learn. So when we have the chance to learn, we really have to take advantage of it and take advantage of all the resources and the amazing teachers that are around you and to be and to let yourself be guided by them as mm. much as you can. And then think about the social life and the other stuff later on, really. Because a lot of people, they go overseas, they just... I have seen a lot of examples like young people, they just want to have fun. At the same time, they will play hard, you know, study hard, play hard. Mm. But for me personally, my own philosophy is to really study as hard as you can, leave the rest of the time for yourself to reflect on your growth, and then look elsewhere for uh fulfillment if you need to. Mm. So that's my advice. Right.
0: Yeah, absolute uh platinum. Class advice, huh? I think higher <laughs> tier than gold, right? Uh, so yeah, really, really good advice. I yeah, I mean nothing else for me to say. You know, really, really sound. And I, you know, I'm glad. You know, we've gone through this entire conversation without even yeah. mentioning anything about COVID. Fantastic. Does that mean wow. that? Yeah. Ha- <laughs> Does that mean that we have already put it behind us? I don't know. Yeah, so uh, thank you so much Chen uh, It's time for us to wrap this conversation up
1: Thank you so much Vincent
0: You've been so articulate and eloquent and you've really made my job super duper easy because I just <laughs> ask the difficult questions and you just come back with such good answers and good replies So uh, thank you so much uh, for, for doing this and thank you uh, so much for taking time out to speak to me
1: no, thank you so much for bearing my voice for such a long time <laughs> without no, getting sick and tired of it. It's uh, absolutely I really had a great time talking and chatting with you. I haven't had this kind of long chat with anyone in ages, mm. so it, it it is very comforting for me from very far away here. Yeah. Thank you so much again for everything. <laughs> yeah,
0: you, you're you're too kind. You're too <laughs> kind. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had a uh, absolute blast speaking to you, and I can't uh, wait for this episode to be launched and yeah all the best please take care of yourself enjoy your time with snowy and i think oh yes yeah. i will I keep yeah.
1: more pictures <laughs> yeah both
0: of you will keep each other company yeah thank so, you
1: so yeah. you too take care thank and, you. and and enjoy your break that's coming up yeah and eat well
0: For sure, for sure. Goes without saying, huh? Yeah, so uh, for all of you listening, thank you for staying with us throughout this entire episode. And most importantly, thank you for your attention. It is very much appreciated. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play or What. You have been listening to You Play or What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted, rate and review the podcast, and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs, and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What. Until next time. admit it and life is close to stop fear parents